Okay. Hey. So we don't really have a host. We don't really have any direction. Feels feels like we are untethered and and rolling in the ocean. So it's you know kind of normal, I think, for for how we usually live our lives. So that's that should be how we we start the podcast, I guess. I think we were going to start with introductions, right? According to this lovely outline we have. Sure. We can. Oh no, that isn't what we were going to start with. <laughs> but why should we introduce ourselves? Let's let's give our audience of two people a reason to listen to us. Yeah, the mystery what? of who we are and why it matters. And really, why another instructional design podcast? Uh, when the five of us got together to talk about this thing, we did a lot of research. We found a wealth of existing instructional design and learning and development podcasts. And we still think that we need to make one because we saw a gap in the field. Um, and I think for me, it really comes down to our audience. Um, what excites me is that we want to create something for current instructional designers, folks who are new to it, folks who are interested in it, people who are transitioning from teaching, um, you know, we never get bored talking about this stuff, so there's kind of room for everyone here. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think um, it's one of the things that that is prevalent, I guess, in in a lot of the other ID podcasts, learning design podcasts, is this focus on like projects and I like topics of like what's going on in the field and things like that, and like activities and processes and all that stuff, and that's useful. Um, but it kind of loses like the connection to how you actually do that, what the actual work is like, what the experience of the the people are. And, you know, I think since we've got a group that has, you know, to varying degrees been involved with instructional design for a while, um, but have a kind of different inroads to it and different perspectives, I think it'd be useful to to discuss that and make it more of like the people focused kind of podcast i'd say another aspect is we are pretty darn professionally diverse group and that a lot of the other podcasts tend to be corporate or specifically higher ed in general or higher ed and online learning or any of these other things and one of the most useful things i've gotten out of this group is everyone's diverse experience. And if you don't bother listening to people outside of what you're specifically doing, you're missing so much. Mm -hmm. So, hi, good people in the audience, all <laughs> two of you. Uh, you know, we're hoping that you will bring whatever you have to the discussion via comments or other you know, emails or snarky things like that. Uh, and we'll be happy to address these things per our experience and uh, see if we can give you directions to go in because one of those wonderful cliches is you don't know what you don't know. And uh, that might be, it might be a good time to start figuring out some things you don't know. Absolutely. And there's a lot we don't know. So join us as we learn things <laughs> from <laughs> each other. Should I take us to our next topic, which is who are we? Why are we talking to each other? Actually, I've only met one person here in person, and that was like two weeks ago. <laughs> um, so how how did we meet? Yeah, um, you know, we were we were talking earlier, and we I started by saying I don't remember, 
Um, it's, it is kind of strange because like normally when I have friends, it's like, oh, we like met in college or, you know, we worked at the same place or something. And like, I do think it was this group. It was some sort of like strange cosmic coming together that, that makes it sound like too grandiose, but it does kind of just it's feel so like accurate. we all just kind of assembled, like we were brought, like brought together by some like magical doorway and we just kind of ended up all talking to each other i remember i met clea i think during a virtual olc and my main memory was we were talking with one of the the vendors and they were the one of the vendors who were doing like testing proctoring was it proctorio or let's not give them any airtime i'm trying to, i can't remember <laughs> the exact vendor um it might be one that i have to interact with so i'll just i won't say the name um and, and but... if this goes into the transcript that company will undoubtedly do background checks on all of us so perhaps <laughs> let's let's but if they already have in the post production they might already have oh i know they already you know, have they might be listening if anybody's ever taken a, a proctor test that software can is very difficult to get off your computer it's basically the glitter of, of software once it gets on you can't get it off it's just kind of like a, a coming together i guess and it's it's interesting and that's that's kind of why i think the podcast we're hoping to do is useful because it kind of to kind of add act as a catalyst or a vehicle for those kind of informal connections for people to kind of come together and meet across different institutions across states countries different planets you know who knows i mean we don't know what the future is going to bring there's no, got to be some know. lone instruction designer out there just on a galaxy far away you know just struggling with their lms or whatever they call it <laughs> so our first major project together so to speak was um we noticed there was a huge need for people who are seeking new jobs uh in late 2020 early 2021 um, for instructional design, for transitioning teachers, for people, you know, moving out of higher ed or moving into higher ed. So we invited a bunch of um, people who had just transitioned jobs or were very familiar with hiring, and we had them come give a talk and give direct advice to people over, over webinar. And we had like 70 people, I think. It was very, very interesting. So that kind of also it led us to realize that this is this kind of collaboration is very much filling a gap in the in the instructional design world. And talking about conferences and things like that and employers not paying for conferences. And yet conferences are where we end up getting to meet people outside of our little group. If you're in a state university system, perhaps your system has some kind of internal conference where you get to meet other people in your field. Or if you have a large university system, maybe you can get together or things like that. But there are any number of people who are one or two people at their institution and that's it. And early 2020, there was a service that was set up by a company whose name is eluding me that just did one-on-one -on -one blind dates effectively with instructional designers. And you could just sign up with this. And every Monday you were told you'll be talking with this person and you had to RSVP by Wednesday. And on Friday, you got together and had a little Zoom call with that person. You got to go, hey, you're someone else. Yes, precisely. Ed Surge Loop. That was the product back when. And I had a couple of these people that I spoke with three, four times just because, well, the loop kind of kept looping. 
back or the person in charge of it wasn't necessarily keeping track of who had and hadn't spoken with whom or things like that. But, you know, getting to meet other instructional designers out there, remembering you are not alone because we are not a finance department of a university. We do not have dozens of people to bounce ideas off of. It is not a regular, it is not too strange to be the only person doing this thing at your institution. So getting to meet people is good. Same conference um, or not. We came came up with a term called um, Jack of all trades, shop of one, where you're basically the only person, you're doing a lot of different things, but you're the, also the only person doing it at your institution. So you're in a kind of bubble and you don't know about effective practices or best practices or if other institutions have done similar things. And that's another reason that cross uh, institution, cross uh, type diversity of conversations are just so important. And it, there's not really any mechanism for it to happen outside of very niche channels. Or things like Twitter, and then you get exposed to everything else on Twitter. Also then sometimes Twitter just dies in a fiery explosion. Um, but but who could have seen that coming? So, you know. Yeah, it's hard to keep up with that. But I think um, the thing that really brought us together was people bouncing ideas off each other. Um, I won't get too far ahead of myself and talk about <laughs> who I am and what I'm doing right now. But that is absolutely it. You know, this group is who I go to to say, hey, does this make sense? Or is it really bonkers? <laughs> Like, is this a normal thing for an instructional designer to face? And how do you deal with it? Just having a space to have those conversations in a safe space, you know, not necessarily with your employer, um, but with friends who have different experiences. That's been really valuable for me and something that I hope we bring to our listeners. So introductions. Rachel had a really cool idea of how we could introduce ourselves by beginning with what our you know, mother or father or family member or closest friend, what they think we do, because I don't know about you all, but when I say to someone, I'm an instructional designer, 99% of the times their eyes glaze over or they're like, Ooh, do you make those compliance trainings? And I'm like, no, no, wait, I promise (laughs) it's broader than that. What does our loved one think we do? And then what do we actually do? And I'm going to throw it to Nick first. I'm not entirely confident that I'm going to be able to answer either of those questions. Um, no, neither what they think I do or what I actually do. When I started this job, my parents would kind of ask, and after a while, they've just stopped asking. <laughs> like, and I've stopped telling them. I, I guess I can relate it to like when I was in high school, taped football games. Like, not off, not off the TV. I mean, like we had our high school uh, little video area and like those students would tape the football games for broadcast on our like public access channel. My mom was just anytime I was doing anything video related, she would just call it doing the green screen. Um, And that's I think just how she's related to any job I've ever had is just kind of like picking one part that she knows about and then just saying that is what my job is. Um, What I actually do Uh, right now uh, for the past six months is the uh, assistant director for educational technology within MSU IT. Um, So I've been focusing on uh, managing a team of instructional designers and accessibility specialists to create training, learning opportunities, courses uh, at our, 
at our university at Michigan State. Um, it's been a huge learning process and I'm still in it. Um, I would say right now I'm trying to figure out how to let go of doing stuff that I used to do um, and how to give people space to do their jobs rather than um, being either doing it for them or, or prescribing it to them. So that's, that's a, maybe not the best way to describe it, but that's kind of what I'm thinking through right now. Um, and I'm going to pass it to Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Um, I am an instructional technologist and designer with um, City University of New York. Um, my family varies between, I don't know, something computers and oh, you help people fill out forms. I don't know quite how they got there, but um, it's just kind of indicative that people really just don't understand to the point where I was, ha where I told somebody what I did and their first response was, no offense, but I don't think we should be replacing teachers with computers. And I was like, great no one else does either i mean i'm sure there's some like administrator up there saying wait that was an option but um no instructional designer thinks that but it's really before the pandemic people had no idea and kind of as clea said now in our massive shift world people have more of an idea so in reality um, I work with faculty to make learning effective and awesome instead of just recording a video. What is the most effective way to make this learning? And I also do lots of programming. So like both in terms of the, hey, here is a skill that needs to be developed with the faculty, how to teach this way, how to be more equitable, or hey, here's a tool that needs to exist and we either don't have the money for it or we, it just doesn't exist in the way we need. Go. And I'm like, great, time to Google some Python, um, and I make it. So those are the different uh, things that I do, kind of like I said earlier about the shot, uh, jack of all trades. It's like, thing needs to exist. Go, Rachel. So, and I'm going to pass it on to Steve. So I'm Steve, and I'm the manager of instructional design and technology for Rocky Vista University. If this sounds like a new thing to you, it's a new thing to me too, and it's a new thing to our institution. So this is another thing that instructional designers are finding out is any number of schools that are suddenly realizing we should get someone to do this stuff maybe. Uh, you know, a lot of this has happened since COVID uh, when any number of schools who had only ever considered teaching their content in a classroom, suddenly everything has to go online. And once those courses are taught for two years or so, then they start going, hmm, I wonder what else we could do with this. Or they go, never mind, we're all just moving to back to the classroom and, and you know, forget everything we've learned in the last two years. In my case, it, it is in fact that they want to start developing things. Uh, but on to what my friends and family think. Uh, typically, they will they will go. So you're at a university. So you do IT. I'm like, well, uh, no, I I I work with faculty to help them teach better. Oh, and the conversation ends, and they're solid with that, unless they have any kind of experience with it whatsoever. And then they're like, oh, so so. What is this thing that you do or, or what's that thing? I tend to have better experience with people who are 
also in higher ed because they're like, oh, I know that department. I accidentally get an email or two from them a year and I still ignore it because I have nothing to do with teaching. But so, yeah, my, you know, my, my family has that much of an idea about what I do and they otherwise just kind of smile and nod and, and move on to whatever the latest local gossip is otherwise. So I guess we will tag around to Clea just because she's the last one out. I suppose so. So I'm going to start with what my parents think I do. My mom thinks I'm an e-learning specialist, which would have been correct. That was my last job um, before this current one that I'm in. Um, so kudos to her for learning that. Although e-learning specialist was never a totally accurate description for me because I've never touched Storyline or Captivate, like slides, e-learning. I don't make that. It really just meant online teaching and helping faculty. Um, my dad knew what I did again in that last job. So I just moved out of higher ed um, work about a year and three months ago. And when he learned that, you know, I knew learning management systems, he was like, here's my password. Can you set up my course site for me? So that was at least closer <laughs> <laughs> to accurate. And also I said, absolutely not. I can help you. I can point you to some resources. So um, fun moment. And if he hears this, uh, know that I'm not mad at you. I just think it was funny. <laughs> you asked me to set up your course. <laughs> so what I do now is I'm an instructional designer at Automatic. I create learning solutions for my customer service colleagues. And I try really hard not to make courses because they have very demanding jobs, you know, very limited time to kind of upskill and learn on the job. So it's all about experimenting and trying to find different and efficient solutions for folks to share their knowledge and take on new challenges. So I absolutely love it. Still don't know what I do, um, but I think that is very fun for me too. In, in other jobs at about this you know, point into it, I was always very bored. <laughs> I'm not bored now. So I think that is a good sign. <laughs> and I think one other thing is uh, I'm the only instructional designer right now in my area and the first that they've worked with. So that is again, why I really value this group. Like, okay, I'm supposed to do instructional design, but is this right? You know, and there is no right or wrong. So just having that community is so important, uh, no matter where we are in our careers. Similarly, I'm the only instructional design person at my institution, uh, although we've only been in operation since 2012 or so. So, so <laughs> we're only 10 years or 10 or 11 years without someone in this position. There you go. Yeah, that, that's about us too, I think. Um, and we will have we will have one other person joining us at some point, um, but she was unfortunately not able to make it today. Um, so stay tuned for that. We have one more surprise reveal, episode one. Uh, who's who's the fifth member of the Beatles? I guess is what we're going to be. Exploring. Yeah, she's also that's the best. Person. We could just make up. I think we'll be nice and let her share her own story. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, goodness. So, you know, I think that represents, in terms of the, the field, it represents a fairly dynamic view of, uh, of different, different organizations you could be a part of. Um, you know, mine is a fairly large land grant public university. You know, Rachel, you work, is yours, yours is kind of proud of a state system. Is that right? 
yeah, we're part of a state system, but we're not the state system because making things easy doesn't make sense. So there's two actually state systems. One's the city, but it's fully state funded and run. And one's the state, which is also state funded and run. <laughs> and then Steve, how would you, how would you describe your organization? My organization is a for-profit medical school. And we currently have two campuses in our institution, and we're opening up a third one this July. So we have locations in Colorado and Utah presently, and we're opening up a third cam campus in Billings, Montana sometime this summer. Mm. So, and uh, it's, you know, one of the interesting things about the teaching is that the the Utah and Colorado campuses have been heavily intertwined with each other in their instruction in that what will happen is say Monday, Wednesday, the Colorado students will have local instruction and the Utah students will be kind of participating remotely. And then Tuesday, Thursday, the Utah students will be getting the local instruction and the, the Colorado students will be there remotely. They all do this inside classrooms on the campus. So they're all participating in, in these in large lectures and things like that. And Montana is going to be its own thing. It's interesting to be working for for-profit higher education because that's two sets of words you don't typically hear together. Clea, um, so you're working in a more corporate environment. Maybe it's just because I don't know a lot of IDs who work in, in more corporate environments, but it does seem like a very interesting structure that your company has, um, it seems very informal. I don't know. That's just the impression. Oh, I get, absolutely. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure, like, <laughs> yeah. what, how you would describe it. I don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad you shared that because it is. It feels accurate to me. And honestly, I I wanted to get out of higher education for very specific reasons. Maybe we'll get into some of those on a different podcast episode. Um, but a lot of corporate gigs just did not appeal to me. They seemed so content focused and just. You know, I really wanted to find a space where I could focus on the learners. Um, and I have worked in customer service before, so this job really appealed to me. I mean, it's called Instructional Designer Happiness, which kind of an amazing title. Uh, that, that reason alone is <laughs> one that got my eyes on it. But it is very informal. You know, we, we have kind of open source roots from WordPress. Our CEO was one of the co-founders of that. We have definitely some commercial areas of the business. And so it's it's interesting to balance those open source roots with commercial company. We have different businesses and our company is fully distributed. So I think there are some offices, uh, but most of us work from around the world. I think we're a hundred countries or we were at some point over 70 languages. I love working online. I love being online. I love teaching online <laughs> when I taught uh, at NYU, taking a little break from that. But yeah, definitely different, more informal. And before me, the training was really developed by the people who are doing the job. Um, so it's been interesting to come in there and try to, you know, set up some structures that'll work for us, but to keep those, that community spirit, which is really important to me. So is this the what people can expect from this podcast kind of thing is that, that the stage is, in the agenda that is the part yeah <laughs> and i like uh, i think nick floated this idea just like maybe we don't have to plan each episode and just see what happens do you want to share more about that nick so i mean part of that is laziness i'm gonna be honest <laughs> like <laughs> i've done 
I've done a fair amount of podcasts, uh, all of them unsuccessful. And this will be the most unsuccessful one yet. So let's, I mean, win an award. they just <laughs> you'd think this would be the most niche one I've done, but you'd be wrong because I did uh. a Star Trek Gilmore Girls podcast uh for a year where we watched an episode of star trek and an episode of gilmore girls and then compared them so nobody listened to that uh that's a shame i feel like there would be a, an audience for that these days you there's, yeah there's probably now that was the problem is we did it we were ahead of the we were ahead of the ahead mm -hmm. of the curve we were ahead of our time you know i say that jokingly but also i think it would be useful to have like a little bit more free flowing conversation at the beginning where we can or, or throughout the podcast where we can kind of look at what's affecting us and and what's going on in, in our lives and what we see is going on in our field and and kind of talk through that in a unscripted or maybe I don't want to say uneducated way, but um, maybe off the cuff a little bit. Unplanned. Um, but I also think it would be interesting to like to interject some moments of yeah, like unplanned moments. So either we have random questions, or um, you know, we try and have somebody bring a topic that uh, that the others aren't prepared for, and and put that in there. To one of the also things I'm trying to avoid is us getting kind of bored doing doing the show because um, these can be kind of a lot of work and we're all busy people so I think it'd be uh, useful to try and make it make it a uh, uh, surprising for us as well which is kind of what I advise when I'm talking with instructors you know like you want to change it up because you've got to teach this a lot and it's going to get boring if you don't per the agenda one of the other topics we're thinking about doing is talk me through a problem and I know from my other institutions that case studies are a huge part of medical education. You know, give the give the story of well, patient presents with such and such, and so that's that's part of training doctors to see their way through a problem. So one of the things that we can try and do here is bring a problem, possibly one that's currently hounding us possibly one that we dealt with in the past and we go how would you have done this better as just an idea because folks who are currently in the field as say course builders if you are working with an lms and you are just taking content that your faculty are giving you and and popping it into the template and saying course is done uh, that is i mean that's work that's absolutely work, but that is kind of narrow band work and possibly uh, giving y'all an idea of what the rest of us have had to suffer through, uh, excuse me, uh, correct, uh, work on. Yeah, <laughs> um, that may be a better way to, A, give you a reasonable expectation of what you might expect anywhere in the profession outside of your current institution. Uh, and B, hey, it might be good interview prep for you because, hey, every company and higher ed institution interviews their own way and the more possible scenarios that you're ready for and have thought about the better off you're going to be so we are clearly going to be the hot employment resource on the podcast right yeah 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 that's a, yeah. that's us uh -huh. and especially for our transitioning teachers who are listening um, a very common skill that you will need as an instructional designer, instructional technologist, is faculty saying something along the lines of, but I've done it this way for 30 years or X number of years. And that's not 
that doesn't mean it's been effective for 30 years. That just means that you've done it for 30 years. And most higher education institutions or faculty have the final say. So you have to basically use your knowledge and skills to bring them around to not just here's a way to do it, but here's an effective way to do it. Because in the end, you know, once in all of your collaborations with the faculty, they ultimately get to decide how they're going to do it. So you are basically engaged in a constant conversation with them to um, not just say, here's how to do it, but basically convince them that um, just because this is the way it's always been done does not mean that's the way it should continue to be done. And that's when you'll start to really bring yourself from the, here's all my PowerPoints, just put them online, that's all you do, to like, oh, Maybe we could have more conversation. How do we create community? What is the effective way of communicating this content versus, I don't know, just dump it into the LMS and, you know, say, now I'll go golf in Florida, which is something that faculty has told me. I'm glad you shared that example, Rachel, because, you know, that's something that I've really been struggling with in my job. And I realized that it is because prior to this, I was also the subject matter expert, right? I was developing courses about how to teach online and I had done that a few times just to really put myself through the experience so that I could empathize with my audience. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of instructional design popular podcasts or posts, like the ones that are flashy and, you know, come into this field, all you need to do is learn an articulate storyline. They really do a disservice to folks who are preparing for this type of job. It is challenging. Um, I love the challenge, but you know, it is important to know what those challenges might be. And so for me, this, this might be a recurring theme that we touch on, you know, as we talk through problems and things that we're experiencing, but I really see instructional design as a relationship building career, or like that is a very important skill um, and building effective ways to collaborate with your subject matter experts a lot easier said than done, right? Faculty don't want to hear that they've been doing it wrong or that they're going to have to learn a new way. Um, yeah, those those conversations can feel very fragile. And so I think having those conversations in a supportive way with whoever you're working with um, really can't be undersold as a skill <laughs> that's going to help you in this area. Yeah. And building on that, something I've spoken to several transitioning teachers who have transitioned into instructional design roles. Um, the thing that was really the biggest shock was not learning the tools, was not this, because you have to learn a lot of tools as a teacher. It's that they don't have the control over the final product that they did because they were ultimately the uh, curriculum developer, in a sense, and the deliverer when they were a teacher. And when you're an instructional designer, you're judged on this product that ultimately you do not physically deliver. So like being able to understand that and make sure that you're still communicating that is an absolutely essential skill that um, you will deliver. And then the other thing for our transitioning teachers is um, you do need to build some instructional design specific skills. So um, if you are a 10 year of experience teacher and you're like, oh, I'll apply to 10 years of experience ID jobs, um, you really do need to build up the ID aspects jobs at maybe a more entry-level, mid-level role first, because like I said, those skills are so essential. However, because we compensate teachers in this country terribly, the salaries will probably be more or less equivalent, like a mid-range ID job to a to a very experienced teacher. So like just uh, bear that in mind and, and wishing you the best of luck. And you could always 
comment and we'd love to talk about the specific nuances and challenges based on role you're looking for. Yeah. And so that's really it. (laughs) Um, All of that summed up into three words. I can't do it. Um, But hopefully we've given you some sort of sense of what we want to accomplish with this podcast. The instructional design world is very broad, complex, often mysterious, (laughs) whether you're outside of that world trying to move in or you're currently in the world looking around like, where did I leave my map? I have no idea what's going on where is anyone else? (laughs) That's still what it feels like to me, but it feels less so. It feels, um, I don't know, it feels better when when I talk with you all and to other people on the internet (laughs) and in the podcast world. So we want to share our personal experiences. We want to hold space for hearing about yours and just keep talking about this.